Welcome to Fremont Community Church on Palm Sunday. You've got your palm branches on your seat. Those are going to come in handy in a little bit. We'll tell you what, uh, what we're going to do with these today. Um, before we start, I would just op- uh, open up our time of, of opening God's word today in prayer. Would you join me in praying? Lord, we just give this time to you. Um, we, we want that claim to be true, that you are our high king of heaven. We surrender to you as our king, as our Lord. Lord, today as we, we talk through Palm Sunday and we kick off Holy Week, help us to uh, not just think of these events as routine as we, many of us have celebrated them for years, but instead give us fresh eyes. Uh, fill us with your spirit that we might see you in new and fresh ways and be more committed to you than, than ever before. We, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Palm Sunday. Um, we, we've got uh, our palms for a reason. Um, and uh, the powerhouse, our kids' ministry, is going to join us at the end of the service, and they're going to uh, participate in a worship response time with us, and I'll set that up in a minute. But Palm Sunday kicks off Holy Week for us as Jesus enters Jerusalem, and, and it's where we trace the last week of his life. And every day this week, we've got something for you uh, to participate in and connect with Jesus. If you've got kids in powerhouse, uh, Eugenia has an amazing package, uh, a packet of stuff for you to do every day, activities to connect with your kids uh, every day this week. And then Monday through Thursday, and then also on Saturday, we've got um, uh, some devotionals. So you're going to get emails and social media posts with devotionals from some of our our team uh, and and some spiritual practices that you can uh, engage with on those days so that every day you're connecting with Jesus. Um, and then on Good Friday, we've got our in-person service. Uh, it'll be online as well. Uh, 7 p.m., come and join us for that and take communion. And as Laura Lee said, we've got uh, Easter Sunday. I just want to rehash this so you can take notes if you missed any of the details. Easter Sunday, sunrise-ish, because it's at 7.30, it, you know, uh, <laughs> at uh, Lake Elizabeth Performance Pavilion. Um, and then we'll be right back here at 9 a.m. for breakfast together as a church family, and then uh, our 10 a.m. Easter service. Today we're going to look at um, this Palm Sunday passage, what some have called the triumphal entry, what others have called the not-so-triumphal entry. From Palm Sunday to Good Friday, Jesus goes from being worshipped to mocked and then crucified. The only time I've ever seen a crowd turn that fast on a person is when this crowd turns on me every time I remember fondly the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers coming back from a 3-to-1 deficit to defeat the Golden State Warriors in the finals. Yep, see, I told you. I told you they'd turn on me. Forgive me. Uh, <laughs> the differences between the events of Palm Sunday and the events that, that lead to Jesus' crucifixion on Good Friday are so eye-opening. What happened in that span of days? What was going on in Palm Sunday? What did the crowd miss, and what, what does it mean for us? So I'm going to have Toby Walker come up on stage, and Toby is going to read our passage for this morning. And so if you've got a Bible, you can open up to John 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, or it'll be up on the screen. Thank you, Toby. The next, wait. Yep. (laughs) The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took the They took the palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. 
See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey colt. After, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that the things had been written about him and these things that had been done to him. Hmm. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard because they had heard that he had been in, performed the sign, went out, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Thank you, Toby. Every year, I'm always wanting to look at these passages um, as if it's the first time to get new insight. And so I actually used a number of resources and commentaries to help prepare for today, but there's one resource I just found this week that I want to recommend to anybody. Um, it's an amazing new book that's come out, um, and, and it's really brought fresh eyes to the events of Holy Week for me, and it's a book called Fight Like Jesus. I think we've got a picture of it right there. Fight Like Jesus, um, How Jesus Waged Peace Throughout Holy Week, and it's an awesome book that takes through each event of Holy Week and, and shines really... Uh, meaningful light on it. So I'd encourage you to get a hold of that book and read through it this week if you've got time. Um, today we're going to look at this Palm Sunday passage that we just looked at, right? Uh, and Toby did a, just a great job of reading that verse, and, and he mentioned in that verse that, that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the tomb. This is, this is John chapter 12. In John chapter 11, Jesus goes to Bethany, and he goes to... Um, where his friend Lazarus has died, and he weeps with Lazarus's uh, sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, and then he goes to the tomb, and he raises Lazarus from the dead, and the crowd has heard about this, and they're going, who is this guy? We want to know more, and so this is the crowd that is gathered, and today, as we later maybe wave our palm branches in worship, um, we, we don't we've seen churches do this, right? This is a Palm Sunday thing. If you've ever been to Palm Sunday, like you wave them around, you know, you worship Jesus with them, and that's awesome. Um, but historically, the palm is a symbol of something else. And we're going to look at three symbols today uh, that help us uh, to see what was really going on here on that first Palm Sunday. And the first one is the palm itself. Uh, the guy who wrote that book, Fight Like Jesus, said, you know, we imagine it as like a, an ancient foam finger. Jesus is number one. Jesus is number one, right? Uh, but actually, the palm had a completely uh, different story and symbol. The palm is associated with a story that is uh, still very important to Jewish people. It's at the center of the celebration of Hanukkah. A little over 150 years before Jesus was born, the land and the people of Israel were under the oppressive rule of an ancient Greek empire. And the Greek emperor ordered that all the people must make a sacrifice to their Greek gods. But in the town of Modin, the Jews there said no. We will not worship any other God but the one true God. One priest, under the pressure of the, the Greeks, decided he was going to uh, agree to sacrifice the false gods, and another priest, Mattathias, killed him. And then he killed the Greek, Greek messenger, the one that was sent by the emperor. A short time later, Mattathias, this priest, was on his deathbed, and he begged his children to pay back the Greeks for all the wrongs they'd done. And one of his sons, Judas, took this to heart. Judas became a hero of the people of Israel. And that's why around the time of Jesus, there's a lot of people with the name Judas. He was a very popular name at that time. 
Judas led this bloody rebellion to take back control of much of the land, including parts of Jerusalem. He, he was a great fighter, and because of this, he earned this nickname, Judas Maccabeus, which means Judas the Hammer. Why can't I ever have a cool nickname like that? So when ancient MC Hammer marched into Jerusalem, the crowds waved palm branches in celebration. They were avenged. They were victorious. So the palm became a symbol of nationalism, of revolution. Eventually, they would print images of palms on their money to remember this revolution. And so the crowds waved palms as Jesus rode in. This is what they had in mind. They're shouting, Hosanna, save us. More accurately, accurately, they're shouting, liberate us, set us free from these Romans. Just like Judas, Judas had pushed back those evil pagans, do it again, Jesus. Be our king, be Jesus the hammer. These crowds had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and in their minds, this is the guy. If there's anybody who's powerful enough to take on the Romans, it's this guy. He can raise people from the dead. Who can stop him? Can he be the hammer of God that's going to finally take Jerusalem back, take our land back? And so they declare Jesus is the king of Israel. But they don't understand what kind of king he really is. And that leads us to our next symbol, the donkey. I love this donkey, and I'll explain why in a minute. Jesus rode the colt of a donkey, and there's so much to this symbol. First, John notes that it fulfills the scripture, and he quotes a piece of it, the scripture from Zechariah about the coming king of the Jews. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. People knew this passage of scripture, so when they see Jesus riding on that donkey, they think, it's him, he's our king. This is really happening. It's finally happening. The king is coming. He's going to bring victory, like Zechariah said. And so Jesus, on purpose, actually selects a donkey so that they might know, yes, even though you don't quite understand what I'm doing, the prophecy of Zechariah is fulfilled in me. The king has come. He is bringing victory, and he is bringing liberation. But why a donkey? Why does Zechariah say donkey? Why does Jesus choose a donkey? It's because it's an animal that symbolizes peace. When a king uh, would ride into town victorious, he would choose what he rode into town based on his intentions. Some kings came intent on, we've already conquered you, but now we're going to wipe you out completely. And that king would ride in in a chariot or on a war horse. If a king, victorious, was marching into a town, came to say, I'm here to make peace, he would ride in on a donkey. And so Jesus is saying, I'm here to make peace. Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem, which is literally translated means city of peace, and he, he, he's signaling to everyone that I've come to bring victory through peace. But that same exact day, the people would have seen um, quite the contrast. Uh, in 4 BC, there was another revolt. This time, a, a group of Jewish uh, young men against some uh, Roman soldiers. So in 4 BC, sorry, this is the most historically nerdy sermon I'm going to preach here, but I love this stuff. Uh, they, they revolted against these Roman soldiers. They were sick of the oppression. 
And they said, we're fighting back, we're not going to take it anymore. And so they killed a whole unit of Roman soldiers. And the Romans did what the Roman Empire always does when they face pushback. They greeted them with kindness and gentleness and mercy. No, they were the Roman Empire. They responded by killing 3,000 Jews that day. And every single Passover since then, this happened on Passover in 4 BC, and every single Passover since then, they would send in extra troops to make sure that there would be no rebellion. And so this very day that Jesus rides in is the, the very first day where preparations for Passover are being made, and that very day Pontius Pilate, who would eventually sentence Jesus to death, would have ridden into Jerusalem with a chariot and a military parade to send the signal to every single person in that city, don't mess with me. If you try anything, we will put it down with the sword immediately. He came in bringing what was known as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But it was a fake peace. It was a peace bought only through violence, and it was a peace maintained by violence, which is no peace at all. So you have these two entries. You have Pilate with the, the, the propaganda and the war horses and the swords basically saying, let's keep it peaceful or else we'll restore peace with the sword. And then you have Jesus. And again, you can't, you can't blame the people who still thought that Jesus was going to fight on their behalf. I, I mentioned this last week. People had no category for what Jesus is about to do. You don't win by surrendering. You don't proclaim victory by dying. It's just not the way the world works. So when they saw him riding on a donkey, they thought, yes, here is the king Zechariah talked about. He's coming to bring us peace. He's coming to bring peace to us, God's chosen people, Israel. And in their imagination, the only way they could have peace would have been through violent overthrow of the Romans. Jesus came riding a donkey of peace to show us a new way. He will have a showdown with Pilate, but when he meets him face to face, he doesn't fight back. He doesn't even speak up and defend himself. Jesus is going to fight a battle, but it won't be one of violence or hatred. It'll be one of surrender and sacrifice. It's this very surrender and sacrifice that leads to our salvation. And I'm going to hone in on that in a minute, but it's also the surrender and sacrifice that he wants us to live out here and now. The world says that the only way for peace is for the good guys to take control by whatever means necessary so that they can enforce peace. Jesus says the only way for real peace is for the good guys to refuse to fight with the weapons of this world. The good guys are those who follow Jesus, who choose to be active in peacemaking, disrupting the systems in, at work in this world that divide us, that oppress people, that pit you against me. Disrupting the systems that seek to enforce our views on other because if everyone just thought and acted the way that I do, we'd be fine, all our problems would be solved. As strange as it sounds, this donkey here is, is actually really personal to me. It holds deep meaning to me. As, as a younger pastor, uh, a more wise than experienced uh, friend and pastor, uh, a guy named Doug, not, not any of the Dougs in this room, sorry, I love you guys, but different Dougs. Um, <laughs> uh, he invited me into a short-term discipleship group, and it was short-term because he said, listen, this is how it works. I disciple you, and then you go disciple other people, so we're not doing this forever. And he, I'm going to send you out. And I still take people through this, this short-term discipleship uh, class that, uh, that he, um, he took me through. I've done it with our staff and with our elders. But at the end of our time together, Doug gave each of us a donkey. This is the one he gave me. And I don't remember word for word what he said, but this, this idea stuck with me. He said something like this. Jesus chose the donkey as a symbol for a reason. 
A donkey is a symbol of humility. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must walk in humility. This is not optional. It is the only posture fit for a follower of Jesus. Doug also taught us this. Donkeys are stubborn. If they decide they don't want to work, if they decide they don't want to go any further, they just won't. You can beat them, you can dangle a carrot in front of them, but some donkeys, no matter what you do, they're just going to do whatever they want, and you can't make them. And he said, there's a, there's a good kind of stubbornness for a disciple. The world will try to change you. It'll try to get you to conform and behave in ways that you know aren't from Jesus. As a disciple, you don't waver. You don't fight with the weapons of this world. One thing I loved about Doug is he always kept it simple for donkeys like me. He said, we do discipleship by following Jesus in Jesus' footsteps. We do what he did. We love like he loved. We speak the words he spoke. Why? Because if it was good enough for him, it was good enough for you and me. And so I keep this donkey in my office as a reminder to follow in Jesus' footsteps. There's not a sermon that I write where this donkey isn't in my view. Reminding me to be humble and never waver from the footprints that Jesus left for us. So if this is what it means to be a disciple, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, what does it look like to be a peacemaker like Jesus was? Well, when we look at Jesus' life, here are the ways we don't see Jesus attempting to bring peace, and then I'm going to contrast that with the ways that we do see. He doesn't use coercive power. He doesn't seek political, military, economic. He doesn't even seek formal religious power. Instead, he exercised a different kind of power, supernatural, spiritual power. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and everywhere he went, people were healed, forgiven, set free. The same Holy Spirit at work then is the same Holy Spirit that's in us and with us now. So my question is, do we believe that God wants to bring healing and forgiveness and freedom to us and the people around us? Jesus didn't come with a, a quick fix, an easy system for the problems of the world. For example, he didn't see a bunch of hungry people and say, oh, okay, I, I can put together a program that will basically run itself and then all the people will be fed. Instead, Jesus actually came and embodied poverty. He came as a poor person. He took on the struggles of the people that the world ignores. And when it came time to feed people, he didn't just set up a program to get people food. He fed them himself through miracles, or he dined in their homes. He was in relationship with them, and this, this is what God is calling us to be as a missional church. When we talk about being a missional church, we're called to care for the poor and the oppressed, but not just by, from a distance with donated goods and money, but with relationship, with friendship, with solidarity. It's about more than food that can sustain physical life. It's about relationships with God and others, and this is what brings us true peace in life. There's a lot of people in our culture right now that think they've got the answers. Just go on Twitter. You can't post anything without somebody being like, well, actually, you know, and it's so obnoxious. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't walk around going, you know what your problem is, and then walk away. His interactions weren't transactional like that. He didn't offer detached opinions about other people's lives and then just go on his day thinking if these idiots would just listen to me in my advice column, then all their problems would go away. Instead, he sat with them. He wept with them. He taught them for sure, but he walked amongst them as he did it. 
It wasn't just about opinions and advice that would lead to the good life or to peace, but it was about his own presence. He looked at people and he said, do you want peace? Then follow me. Be near to me. Be in relationship with me. He still says that to each one of us. He offers us peace in his presence. We have peace when we know him and we draw near to him. What I'm saying today is that to be a peacemaker like Jesus was, we have to recognize it's all about relationship. He brought healing and comfort and food and wisdom and all of these things lead to peace in our life. And he did them around tables. He did them walking alongside people on the road and he did that sitting in a circle on a mountainside. In the same way, if we want to bring peace to the people around us, the best way is for each one of us to be committed to bring peace to our neighbors, our coworkers, our peers at school, the people we game with online, our friends and family. It's in building relationships that we can offer the peace of Christ to the world around us. And my, my question is, imagine if every Christian and every church had a vision for this, about being peacemakers everywhere we would go. There's no government, there's no organization in the world that could bring peace in the way that the church could if we took this seriously. Every one of us was on board with this. Let's be peacemakers. Let's be donkeys for Jesus. The third symbol I want to talk about today is the sheep gate. And the sheep gate is not specifically mentioned in this passage, but you see on there, uh, that's, that's what the sheep gate looks like today. And then up there, it's really hard to see, but you can see uh, at the top right corner, there's a little break in the wall of this map, and there's the sheep gate there. This is the time of year, this is the day of the year when the preparations for Passover were beginning. People from all over were there in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And Passover, if you don't know, is a Jewish holiday that marks the time that God passed over the homes of of the people of Israel when he struck down the firstborn of every Egyptian household. The Jews were in slavery to Egypt, and this is how God was going to set them free. And he said, you're to kill and eat a lamb with no defects, and you're to smear some of its blood on their door frames to signify that they trusted God and that he believed he would set them free. And that's what he did. He set them free from slavery and oppression in Egypt. The Passover celebration was a reminder to Israel that God saw them in their time of need, in their suffering, and he fought for them. To set them free. So every year at the temple in Jerusalem, households would purchase a healthy lamb uh, to sacrifice in celebration, in remembrance of the Passover. And most of these lambs would come from Bethlehem. So it's not on this map, but they would come from Bethlehem into that sheep gate. Bethlehem, the, the home of King David, the place where Jesus was born, a shepherding town. At some point on his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus would have gotten on the path that those sheep would take from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. He almost certainly entered Jerusalem on this first Palm Sunday through the sheep gate. Jason Porterfield, the author of Fight Like This, said this, Jesus used his triumphal entry to subtly yet unambiguously declare that he was not the hammer of God, he was the lamb of God. And he calls his followers also to embrace the way of a sacrificial lamb. This is really powerful. Jesus came to be the lamb of God. He could have come as the hammer. 
He could have beat back Rome. He could have brought back Jewish rule in Jerusalem. He could have brought some sort of temporary peace, but instead he fought for a greater peace. He didn't want to limit this peace to just one time and one place. He wanted to offer eternal peace to all who would receive it. Here's what we need to remember today. Here's what the people who were shouting Hosanna didn't realize then. They wanted justice. They wanted justice for the wrongs that were done to them, and they wanted the hammer of God to come down. But the problem with that is, if Jesus came with a sword to bring justice through violence, then it wasn't just the Romans that would be in the crosshairs. It would be every one of us. Every one of us has sinned. The Bible says has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has contributed to the brokenness that exists in this world. Every one of us has contributed to the injustices that exist in this world. It may be on some scale of, of you know, uh, really bad to pretty bad, right? But if that's, if that's what Jesus came in, with a sword and judgment, then not just the Romans, everyone's in trouble. Instead, he came as a sacrificial surrendering king. Not with the sword, but with a cross. He came to offer peace to the Jews for sure if they would see him as their Messiah, receive forgiveness of sins and follow him. But he came to offer this same peace to us Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. <laughs> Even the Romans. He came that if anyone, anywhere, at any time would surrender to the peacemaking King Jesus, that person would receive true peace and eternal life. Last week, I, I said this in the passage of Matthew 20. Uh, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give a li his life as a ransom for many. Paul writes this even more in, in 1 Timothy. He talks about Jesus, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, listen to this, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. The Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, and the lamb was a sacrifice, a ransom paid for their freedom. But all humanity is enslaved and oppressed under the power of sin. If that word is unfamiliar to you, that word sin, sin is, is rebellion against God. It's trying to take control of our own life and keep God at arm's length so we can be the kings and queens of our own lives. It's devastating because when we do this, sin breaks our relationship with God. It, it damages and destroys our relationships with each other. It's ultimately damaging and destroying all of creation. The Bible tells us that when we rebel against God, we sell ourselves into slavery to sin. Who can pay the ransom? Who can buy us back? Jesus came through the sheep gate, the spotless lamb of God, to give his life as a ransom, to buy us back. To buy us back from the power of sin that has taken control in our lives. To rescue us from the damage and destruction of sin, which ultimately leads to death, the Bible says. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a path toward the cross where he pays our ransom. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, defeating death once and for all. That anyone who has faith in Jesus, even though we die, will be raised to eternal life in his presence. This is what we celebrate Holy Week, and we encourage you to connect with Jesus every day this week. 
So the question is, what do we have to do to live more into this true life he wants us to have? What do we have to do to gain eternal life? And the answer is we follow in Jesus' footsteps. We surrender. We surrender. We believe so strongly that what Jesus did on Good Friday on the cross and what he did on Easter Sunday in his resurrection, and we proclaim that it is enough for me What he has done is enough for me to have my sins forgiven and have true and eternal life. But we also proclaim he is Lord. He is the king of my life. He's in control. I let go of the steering wheel and I allow him to determine who I am, what I care about, what I do. I surrender my crown. I'm no longer the king or queen of my own life. I'm following in Jesus' footsteps from here on out. Even when it's hard, even when it's inconvenient. Why? Why? Because look at what he went through in order to demonstrate God's love. Look at all he sacrificed that that you and I might know him and have true life. The path of discipleship is hard, but it's worth it. Being a donkey for Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. Anything that you struggle to surrender to God in order to draw closer to him, I promise you it's worth it. And so this morning, this Palm Sunday, we proclaim that Jesus is king, just like they did on that first Palm Sunday. We sing Hosanna. Set us free. Save us. Set us free from the power of sin. Set us free that we might experience your true life. We lay down our palms at your feet, and we say, Jesus, you are our king. And so we're actually going to do that today. As a physical reminder as a physical proclamation of his kingship in our lives. We're going to respond to what Jesus has done for us by laying down our palms. And if you're really looking forward to taking this home with you, you can. Don't worry about it. After service, you can grab them. But, but what we're going to do is, in these next couple of songs, uh, the band is going to come back. I'm going to invite them to come up right now. And as they do, um, any time during these songs that you feel like you want to respond uh, to what Jesus is speaking to you, uh, and the kids are going to come join us as well, and they're going to participate in this. Anytime during those two songs, you have an opportunity to come forward right here in the center, right there on the floor, and lay down your palm. Lay down your palm as a physical uh, symbol of surrender. It might just be a symbol that you are so grateful for what Jesus has done for you that you just want to joyfully lay down your palm and say, Thank you, Jesus, you are my king. Or you may be struggling with sin in your life right now. There may be something that you're doing or not doing. There may be something that you're saying or not saying, believing or not believing. There there may be something in your life that you're having trouble letting go of. Something in your life that is keeping you from closeness with Jesus. Hi, kids. And as they come in and we prepare our hearts to worship, if that's you, if you're holding on to something that is keeping you, that's a barrier between you and Jesus, I'm I'm asking you today, surrender it. Lay down your palm as a symbol that you want to walk away from that. (laughs) Surrender it. Let it go. Use this palm of a symbol of letting go of whatever that is in your life at the feet of Jesus. Ask him to set you free, to change you, and to fill you with his abundant life. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. 
Maybe you've never put your faith in him and what he's done for you. And today, allow this to be the time, the moment where you surrender all of you to him. Allow him to set you free of the sin and brokenness that you're experiencing. Surrender it to him. Ask him for forgiveness. Lay down your palm today as a symbol of surrender. Tell him that you want your life to be different. That you want to call him the Lord of your life and live for him from this day forward. Receive true and everlasting life that he wants for you. Pray with me. Jesus, we proclaim that you are king. This morning as we lay down these palms, we surrender. You laid down everything for us. You gave everything for us. And in response to your love, we want to offer ourselves to you. Take root in our life. Make us more like you. For anyone in here who's never surrendered their life to you, God, let this be the morning that they say, I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want forgiveness of sins. I want new life. Draw us all to you, God. Help us all follow in your footsteps. Be like you are. This Palm Sunday, we say, Hosanna, save us. Set us free from sin and give us new life through you, Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen.